Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Desk. We gather to discuss the trends in marketing, retail, and production of food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Today, we are joined by Pamela Dietz, partner at Errant Fox in Washington, D.C. Pam's practice focuses on advertising and intellectual property licensing. Today's episode is actually the first episode of a very special three-part series here on Beyond the Shelf, where we'll be discussing the ins and outs of advertising claims with Pam. Here at Chef's Desk, we find that the world of ad claims and the laws and regulations surrounding them are often misunderstood within the food and beverage industry. In this three-part series, we'll be covering the basics of ad claims, including what they are, who makes them, and common misperceptions about them, as well as how ad claims can be made through digital platforms such as social media, the regulatory bodies and practices that all marketers should be aware of, how awards and certifications can be used in advertising, and the best and prudent approaches for brands to take who want to utilize ad claims in their marketing materials. So without further ado, Pam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Scott. I'm glad to be here. Pleasure. So in this episode, we're going to be kind of doing an ad claims 101, uh, which is, you know, we're going to talk about what is an ad claim, what types of claims can be made, what are there, which is, which is, is great because these statements are, are, again, they're just completely unknown out there in the world about where the lines are and where they should be drawn. So, uh, so Pam, let's set off, start off a little bit with when do statements in ad, in any ad, become claims? Because all advertisements have statements, right? You're going to say something about your product, uh, but it, it's really unknown when something becomes a claim with obviously the emphasis there on claim. You, you can talk about how there's features, there's benefits, there's calls to action, there's all these things that are, that are going to be in ads. Uh, but when does something become a claim? Well, something becomes a claim, Scott, if it's a statement about the product, a feature, one of your competitors, a benefit of the product that could, in fact, um, if not substantiated, if not truthful, mislead a consumer into making a decision to purchase the product. So when we think about these claims and when we're looking at an ad, or any kind of packaging, et cetera, that's related to the claim, the statements that are made by an advertiser, we wanna parse out those things that look like if a consumer relied on that and it wasn't truthful, we would have misled that consumer. How does a marketer know when, when they are actually saying something about a product or a service, that would be a claim? Because let's face it, all marketers and advertisers are going to uh, push the envelope a little bit, right? I mean, it, it, there's no advertisement out there that says, uh, this is a pretty good product, you know, <laughs> it just does okay. Or, um, you know, there's others out there that are a little bit better. There's always going to be some level of bolstering going on, right? Uh, how do I, as a brand marketer, know that I'm saying something that requires substantiation. And, and I, I asked the second part to this question as well of if you could define what substantiation is, but I, I, how do you know? I'm a marketer myself and the number of ads that I've written over the years are, I don't know, hundreds, perhaps thousands. But how do I know when I've crossed the line? When, because I'm always trying to convince a customer or a potential customer of something. How do I know when I'm convincing 
in a way that is deceptive. So the first thing we want to look at is whether we're seeing something about a product that um, is would fall into the category. Well, let's back up a second. Anything they got to your point is a claim, right? If we're, if we're going to say, oh, this is a pretty good product, is that a claim? The question becomes that requires substantiation. Are we saying it's a pretty good product as compared with another product? Well, when we make that additional statement about a comparison, we probably have to have some substantiation, some support to be able to make that comparative claim to a competitor product because the competitor may say, that wasn't truthful. Your product isn't better than our product. So you can't just make a statement like that, a comparative statement without having substantiation. But I'm going to ask myself a question. What if I say something like, this is the most beautiful um, sofa I've ever seen. Does that require substantiation would be the question that most people in the marketing department would have. And we would say, no, claims about beauty, claims about um, kind of personal opinion that don't and are not capable of substantiation do not require substantiation. Those are typically called puffery or puffing claims. And you've probably heard about those. So let, let, so puffery. So puff, do I understand correctly that puffery is almost something so outrageous that you could never substantiate it anyways, right? The, the, the world's greatest keyboard <laughs> or the, the, the uh, universe's finest water. Is, is that puffery? Like you just couldn't, you couldn't prove it anyways. And any reasonable person would think it's ridiculous. Well, you know, in fact, you, you're, you're in on the right track, but not with those particular claims. It would be possible to determine something about uh, when you're making a comparison, like the world's finest, lots of people try doing that. Right. So what comparative set, um, what was the, um, what was the criteria that you use to define finest? So, Consumers might think if you were talking about some kind of um, product that fine was uh, important to like China or crystal, the world's finest crystal. What does that mean vis-a-vis if you're brand X versus brand Y? Does it withstand uh, washing in a dishwasher? Does it must be washed by hand? What are those things? I like to say these are claims, puffery are claims that a reasonable consumer would not rely upon to make a decision. They're kind of irrelevant. I don't care that you say that your carpet is the most beautiful carpet. I'll make my own decision. Thank you very much. What about the wear features? What about you know the stain features? Those kinds of things could and would require substantiation, but beauty is the easiest one to understand um, is something that would fall into the puffery category. So, as you start looking at an ad, you want to say, okay, what are my claims? You know, am I saying something about the product, its features, its benefits, a comparison to a competitor? And then I look at each of those categories and I start asking myself the question, what of these things could I prove if I had to? Which of these things would a consumer say, I expect you, advertiser, to be able to show evidence that that statement is correct and truthful? I suppose there's, there's, when talking about a specific product, there's almost a giver and receiver type, type thing here where 
one is to say something about your own product. The other would be to say the benefit. So I'm curious about the beauty angle because, boy, I, I would say almost every beauty product by definition exists to make someone either look better or more importantly, feel like they look better, right? <laughs> and, and there's, there's if I say my product will make you look better, is that, is that fall into an area of, well, if I wanted to sue you, I could say, well, prove that this will make other people look better, which is in and of itself subjective. So I'm curious about that because in, in the food industry, beverage industry, you could probably back a health benefit up with scientific evidence. Now, it might be some dispute over that evidence, but you know, if you say, um, uh, you know, contains electrolytes, they're going to make you perform better. There's probably some scientific evidence to that that's been done in some university study. There's an objective path there to be able to uh, to determine whether or not that that would happen to the that it would increase performance or or cell retention of water or something like that in most of the population. But what about when you're getting into something subjective? Like beauty is always always subjective by definition. Um, and I, I would say there's probably some areas too where that food and beverage could be a little subjective. For example, if I have a diet product that, that says, this will make you feel full, so you don't need to eat meals in the future. Well, that, that could be a little subjective, right? I mean, who's to tell, who's to determine when another human being feels full, right? Um, uh, how do we parse through that as well about when something is objectively provable or disprovable and something is actually subjective. And then how does that influence whether or not you're making a claim and need substantiation? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And you've hit on a th uh, three different categories and you're actually doing a great job of um, posing important questions that would confound a lot of marketers. So let's start first with your beauty question. And you ask that question and you mentioned that beauty itself is subjective. But then you ask the question in the context of, of health and beauty products, so makeup. Um, and so the question there becomes, and I, and I always think about wrinkle creams. Wrinkle creams are the most um, Googled, apparently, beauty item. Um, so subject to a lot of potentially false advertising because uh, an advertiser would be, you know, there's a lot of attention, there's a lot of competition in that market, and there's a lot of desire on the part of consumers to erase their wrinkles. So if you say something like this, this wrinkle cream uh, will make you look better, the question then is better than what? And because the person is only buying it because it will improve their appearance, it is important that they be able to substantiate that. That would not just be a subjective thing. If we said the packaging on our um, eye care product is particularly beautiful. It has nothing to do with the product. It has to do with packaging. You wouldn't need substantiation to say that about your packaging. I'm, I'm kind of a very broad example so that you distinguish these things or our audience does. The, the reality is that when you're talking and applying something like beauty or better or improving appearance, it means something different when we're looking at a specific product. Um, so you know, even if, let's say Chef's Best, you're talking about food products. 
What if you said something looks better than another product? Um, you would assume that you've done some kind of comparison to be able to reach that conclusion. That's not just personal opinion. You could be quite, um, that, that advertising could be quite detrimental to a company which was subject to the comparison. Um, you know, my, my, my sauce, this sauce looks better when it's presented on pasta than that sauce. Um, well, is that subjective? Maybe, but maybe there's some real um, qualitative measurements in the food industry that can be applied. You know, does it, is it particularly thin when it appears on the pasta? Is it rich and does it stick to the pasta? Um, what are the criteria? So we really have to look at the, the product itself and what that claim about beauty or appearance, et cetera, has to do with a consumer's decision to purchase the product. You also talked about, um, I think, beverages. And of course, in the, in the beverage industry, there are a number of rules. Um, and, and so we're, you know, if you talk about electrolytes in something as an advertiser or something improving your health, um, those would all naturally be required to have possessed substantiation at the time you make the claim. So that's something we didn't talk about. But as an advertiser, once you figure out that you've got a claim, and most ads have multiple claims, and you ascertain what substantiation is required, you actually have to possess that substantiation. You have to have it in your hand at the time you make the statement about the product. And you, it's not necessarily okay for you to make the assumption that because somebody else has done research on electrolytes and you're using some electrolyte in your beverage, that you can simply conclude that if you're also using electrolytes, that's going to make the, the uh, uh, consumer that uh, drinks the beverage have the same response that happened in some unrelated study. So this does get much uh, trickier than, than it would appear. That's why there's a whole body of law on it um, to make sure that, that an advertiser is held to a standard that requires truthfulness to a reasonable consumer. That, that, that brings a lot of clarity. And I, I, think, I think the three areas for me that are resonating here of, okay, when, when are we crossing the line is if you're comparing, that's an absolute red flag, right? If you are gonna talk about another product, um, perhaps without even needing to name it, it, it might be that if you're just implying that you're talking about that product, uh, the, you know, the potentially famous example is, Coke talks about Pepsi, then I think the famous example is the other way around. I think there was Pepsi talked about Coke, but I would suspect that if Pepsi didn't even use the word Coke, but said that other popular cola company you likely have heard of, then, then it's probably pretty obvious we were, we were referring to. So if you're going to compare to another product out there, then, then the flag is up. Uh, the other being, if, the, if you're going to talk about the result or impact, uh, and that could be something scientific, such as water retention in cells from electrolytes, or it could be just something that's a little bit more impact versus something scientific, uh, some guarantee that, that this is going to make you feel or look or be a certain way. Sounds like a red flag to me. And then... Well, Scott, let me, let me interrupt you there. So each of those things that you just mentioned actually would require substantiation and different levels of substantiation. So if an 
Pfizer is saying they guarantee that, you know, you'll get this result. Well, golly, they better have the proof behind that. You know, they better have conducted unbiased studies and have test results that would demonstrate a reasonable consumer would anticipate that you had evidence to support that kind of statement. Um, so all those kinds of claims, express claims where you specifically say something about your product, absolutely, you would need to have the substantiation that would support that express statement, like I guarantee, or nine times out of 10, you got this result, or anything along those lines, you need specific uh, evidence to back that up. If it's an implied claim, like you're saying something about somebody else's product, you're implying something about your own product, that also can require substantiation. And then finally, the highest level of substantiation is typically when you're comparing your product to another one. And it's encouraged. It's not like the law doesn't encourage comparisons. It does, but you have to support it. You can't just make these wild, crazy claims because they can be so powerful and, and damaging to another brand if you don't have the right substantiation. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third category, if you will, that I picked up on is when you're saying something about your own, you need not be talking about a competitor to have potentially put yourself in a situation. Uh, for example, if you're wanting to claim something is the creamiest or the best tasting or of the highest quality or something like that. So uh, if you're going to hold that mirror up to yourself and make a claim about your own product and not even mention a competitor, uh, then you could be certainly treading into uh, you know, potentially legally challenging waters. So let's say I'm a brand marketer and the research is, has pointed me in a certain direction and, and my, my strategy for the year is, 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 is somewhere in these three and I'm, I'm sure there's even more. And as you said, there's a couple different layers, um, but that's the direction we want to go with our marketing over the next year. Uh, how does an ad, how, where do I start? How does an advertiser, you know, make a claim? Um, when do we decide we're going to go with an award or an endorsement from someone else? So, if, you know, you're, or if you're, you're bringing in a third party, I think the famous example is, was it a toothpaste, right? That said four out of five dentists, you know, you, you kind of, mm -hmm. you, you say it's not us saying it, it's them saying it. Um, I, I think that this, you could, respectfully give me an, an eight hour answer on this, but where, where do I start other than Colin Pam Deese partner with Aaron Fox in Washington, DC, uh, where, where do I start? So the, the first thing you do, honestly, and I think, I hope most companies have already thought if they're in the marketing business, there's a marketing team, there's people with legal responsibility, and there's people with technical responsibility on this advertising team, right? So the marketing people are looking at what do we want to say and how do we want to say it? Legal is going to look at how can we account for risk and is there um, some sort of precedent to consider here by way of we've made these claims before, you can make them, here's the support you need. And then on the technical side, the technical people are going to say, can we test for these attributes and what kind of um, samples do we need and what do we need to do and what's the timing? So there's this real interplay between roles. So the first thing the marketing person has to do is look to colleagues in legal and technical to say, this is what we would like to say, can we say it? Do we have the ability to make these kinds of claims? And what do we need to do to make them? We, we have found at Chef's Best that there's, there's almost 
two categories, people that understand this world or at least have the resources to understand the world. Perhaps they have in-house legal counsel. Uh, you know, they've, they've been around long enough that they know to, to, to be careful in these waters. But then you find other companies, um, you know, startups often or, or someone that might be new to the food and beverage industry that they just don't know. I mean, if you're working, I'll just pick this out of the air, Kellogg, you know, there's, there's legal teams, there's, you know, uh, executive teams that have probably been through the car wash, if you will, on, on advertising claims over their 20 or 30 or 40 years of, of, of uh, serving within the food and beverage industry. Uh, but we also find that there's a lot of companies where they just don't know and don't understand it. They were an entrepreneur. They, 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 you know, were busy formulating and, and finding a manufacturer for the new cookies that they're selling. Uh, and then they just don't know because prior to that moment, they were just general consumers. They don't know that this world exists out there. Um, when you're assisting companies, um, where do you find the spectrum is in terms of, um, you know, brand marketers and companies that that really need assistance uh, that they just they just don't know for one reason or the other? What what are some of the folks that you help? So truthfully, um, in my now multiple decade career and in the that we have at Aaron Fox in advertising. We represent companies from startups to Fortune 100 companies. And notwithstanding the fact that a lot of legal departments in-house, in as we call it at corporations, have some advertising expertise, not as many as you would think solely focus on advertising. You know, they may have other responsibilities. So they feel they're not as informed on some of these complex issues. So outside counsel is frequently retained by even very large uh, companies for assistance in helping them review and assess because the cost to a company of making a mistake is enormous. I mean, the obvious ones are damage to the brand, right? I mean, if you have to pull your advertising because it's false, what, what does that do to the consumer group that you're trying to reach? Now they're not gonna believe anything you say. What happens if there's a class action? What happens if there's a suit brought by one of your competitors? Advertising litigation is wildly expensive. You may have a case at the what's called the National Advertising Division of Better Business Bureau. These things tend to be um, expert intensive, meaning if somebody's challenging your ad, you have to produce the substantiation you had. And if for some reason you didn't have it, you're in very deep water at the moment. You may feel compelled to try to get somebody to support what you said, that's gonna cost money. So making an error here, um, un unwary um, advertisers <clears throat> run huge financial risks and the obvious damage to the brand, which is contrary to the whole thought of marketing and making these claims. So I wanted to point out that the law does not give a break to someone who's not knowledgeable about the rules that apply. Just like getting in your and you don't wear a seatbelt and you're in an accident, most states, you, you are, you know, you don't get to sue somebody because you were ejected from the vehicle. If you choose not to do that, if you just don't know the law, you don't understand that you can't drive 100 miles an hour on a city street, you didn't know that wasn't the rule, that's not an excuse, you don't get a pass. The same thing is true in the advertising world. If you're a startup and you don't understand the rules, Nobody's going to give you a break. They're going to say the rules are there. 
Places like the Federal Trade Commission have all kinds of resources available for startups, small businesses, explanations. There's tons of lawyers that are um, have uh, skills in this area that can advise. So it, it doesn't it doesn't work. So you really want to be cautious before you start making claims. Ignorance is not a defense. <laughs> right. Yes. Ignorance may be bliss for a moment in time as you write that lovely claim. And then when you get in trouble, you know, you'll feel, oh my gosh, why didn't I think about this? But we're all consumers too. So that's the other way to look at this. If you're a marketer, you're also a consumer. And so being tricky, being clever, um, it's not beneficial to anyone and you wouldn't want to be uh, you know, fooled into purchasing a product because someone said something that was untruthful. Well, th- this has been a wonderful intro uh, to, the, to the world of ad claims, a complex world, I think it is very safe to say. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about the modern kind of media environment, uh, you know, how, do, how these rules may or may not apply differently to traditional media versus social media, which is, is something that simply you're going to have less control of as, a, as an advertiser. Uh, we'll talk about the National Advertising Division of the Better Business Bureau, the FTC, uh, and, and dig a little bit deeper into uh, you know, what research you should be consuming and understanding. And uh, spoiler alert, too, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I want to learn a little bit more about how penile these mistakes can be as well. So we'll, we'll hold that question for our next episode. Uh, I would imagine that these are not $100 fines or settlements that, uh, that are brought down. So we'll talk about that a little bit in our next episode as well. Uh, Pam, thanks for very much for kicking us off to a great start in this important series, the food and beverage advertising world. And uh, we invite everyone to join us for the next episode. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Shelf presented by Chef's Test. Please join us next week for the second episode of our series with Pamela Deese. To be notified when the next episode is live, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your episodes. And please, if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more details about all our episodes from inside the ever-changing food and beverage industry, visit chefsbest.com.